Hello, 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 and welcome to Streetwise, the podcast extension of the Pitch from Kansas City. I am your host, Barack Wilbur. I'm also the editor in chief at The Pitch. How is everybody this week? On fire. I'm sure everybody is just having a time because we're all having a time, but we're having more of a time than normal. Just everything is extra, extra normal, (laughs) even for, ah, God, we really set a standard and then we just keep blowing that standard away. And we've been doing it for long enough. I don't even know what I thought a standard was going to be. It's a lot like saying, like, once we get back to normal times and I'm like, I don't know what normal times was because it certainly wasn't any time in the last couple of years for me. And then when I truly think about it, certainly not since high school. And then when I think about that, I, I was absolutely not having a normal time in high school. So, like, I don't know extra extra normal the i don't know is this just what it is this is just what it is that's fine um so here's an interesting part of my week um i would like to remind you that whether it's in kansas city or somewhere else in the world where you live supporting alternative journalism is is wildly important right now because uh, they are they're getting to tell some stories and provide some perspectives that a lot of the the old guard isn't uh and in a time where human voices matter and at a time where the truth matters. Um, I can't think of anything more vital. And I would be saying that whether or not I was running a publication here or not, uh, truly, truly a time where everyone is suffering financially and journalism, especially local journalism that depends on local businesses in a time where local businesses are closed. Oh my God. It's just such a, such a terrible time out there. (laughs) Just such a real bummer. Um, And we have been wildly thankful to the, just incredible number of you that have signed up to be uh, pitch members uh, and and financially supportive of what we're doing. Uh, you know, every couple of bucks counts uh, and just uh, tossing out five bucks for us each month. Like, you, look, I've always hated listening to NPR with their fundraising drives every seemingly every three weeks. Uh, and I was always just like, look, I'll donate right away. I'll get my tote bag. I'll get this out of the way. And like, I, I hear them proselytizing to me through the rest of the, the week. And I'm always just like, I, yeah, but like, okay, cut the ads for me. And I realize that a lot of that is what I'm having to do now. And I, I, I think I used to think it was a little desperate or needy, not desperate, but definitely a little needy. Uh, and, but I understood why. Uh, and now I hear absolutely everyone doing it. And I, I, I worry when I see, tweets from us or from other people being like, Hey, as a reminder, we're here and you can donate money to us. I'm like, I know that a few years ago, I would have looked at that and been like, we get it guys. Like everyone, everyone needs a little help. But that was also the before time when everyone didn't really need a a little help. And now everyone absolutely does. So like, I wish I was also supporting your business. I wish I was also being like, and also uh, give them some of this, which I think we do a lot of at the pitch. We are always trying to feature uh, local businesses that are doing cool stuff and uh, and ways that you can support them because, oh my God, I want us all to make it through this. Um, anyway, this week is brought with us uh, in, in the wake of uh, recent events. Um, we have sort of an email chain uh, with the, uh, the editors and the ownership at other alt papers around the country. And in the, in the wake of recent events and with the things that we are worried about on the horizon, um, it became time to do a group purchase uh, to save some money, uh, a group purchase uh, for a lot of us to get um, gas masks and Kevlar vests ahead of what's coming up, because a lot of people uh, are reporting on the front lines, uh, and uh, certainly there's never been a time in the country where the press has been as hated as it is right now. Uh, a couple of the people on that chain uh, from some of the uh, larger cities were like, actually, we we already have 
those things. We've had them for everyone in the office for a while now because that's just how things have gone. And I, um, I don't know. I think about our year and I think about <laughs> all the times where we could have done that already or should have done that. We have one one photographer in particular who was uh, in, involved in uh, documenting the uh, the protests this summer. And the police gassed him something like eight or nine times. He was shot with rubber bullets. Uh, we had people that are friends or associates. Uh, one guy was blinded by a rubber bullet walking back to his car after a protest. Like, it, there's just so many ways to get hurt. And there are so many people out there with uh, incredibly itchy trigger fingers. Uh, and, uh, you know, police protests in Kansas City were particularly difficult because, like, oh, it just keeps, keeps happening that the, the cops are, are using tear gas and rubber bullets to protect... Um, the country club plaza to, to really defend our cheesecake factories honor. Uh, and I don't know, the, there's not an image from that, that I don't look back on every couple of weeks and just go, what, what happened this year? So to, to watch, to watch what happened at the Capitol, uh, last Wednesday, uh, to, to hear about all the things that are being prepared for, uh, now, I don't know, just, uh, it's a lot, and there's something about it that really landed home when it was like, hey, do you guys want to do, like, a bulk buy of of anti-riot gear? Because, uh, you know, I don't know, it's part of our job, we might need that. And and in Congress, uh, they've been reminded repeatedly that, um, you know, uh, a bulletproof vest is actually a, a, a business deduction that they can have. Like, they're, they're encouraged to do so. We weirdly don't have that uh, in journalism, uh, where we are surviving off the, the change that we are finding in the couch so it was an interesting time this week to be like, do we have the money we need to get to get a few of us uh, the protection that we might need if things keep going the way that they're going? I, I don't know. It, it led to a, an interesting afternoon uh, with uh, me taking a very long walk and being like, how did we get here? Uh, <laughs> but there is something objectively funny about the idea of, of a lot of people in media having to be like, look, we can't really afford it, but we know we need it let's do like the Sam's club run. We've got to find where they're selling bulletproof vests in packs of 12. Uh, we got to get that discount cause we can't, we can't afford it on our own. And it's, uh, I don't know, just a fascinating time to be alive and hopefully continue to be alive. That's, that's where we are. I, I, I continue to be, uh, a shocking optimist, uh, in, in spite of my nature. I, I really truly believe that things are going to turn a corner. I, I, I once again just spent the week watching friends post selfies on Instagram where they've gotten the vaccine here in KC, and I'm I'm just so thrilled that that's there. Um, there is now uh, sign up surveys in Kansas City. Uh, you can find all, all these linked to from our uh, our website, uh, showing where you can put your name in and your information in to be notified uh, when the vaccine is ready for you in the order that uh, things are coming out. A particularly funny part of that for me is that um, for Jackson County. Uh, they asked, like, well, you know, describe your profession because the profession will determine, uh, you know, how how necessary you are, how important you are, but also like sort of talk about like how much you interact with people on a daily basis. And and I got to be like, well, I'm I'm always out in the world because I have to interview people as a part of events that are happening. So I I I can't call myself frontline because I'm not doing that, but I am doing important work and I am covering healthcare things and making sure that the city has access to that information. And I realized that after I'd written that I was a journalist with the pitch, that whoever reviews that here in Kansas City will will have a, a, a wide a wide swath of options for where to put me in the lineup depending on how important they think our work here is. Because 
if if they think that we are a vital part of what's happening to this community, maybe I'm earlier in the line. And if and if uh, there's somebody that thinks we're fake news or has not previously enjoyed my coverage of something, maybe I'm getting mine eight months down the line, just real back of the line shit. Uh, so. <laughs> I don't know, really uh, putting some trust in one random person out there that they uh, really want to support local journalism. Uh, not that I'm sad with any place that I have in the line. Everybody needs to get it. And there are, it is it is such a problematic thing because I, I know now that I'm going to get a text at some point in the next couple of months. And as soon as I get the text and it tells me where I'm going the next day, my first thought is going to be everybody that I would like to send in front of me. Uh, even if it's eight months down the line, I'm sure I'll still know somebody that I'm like, I wish Reggie was getting it today. Like that's how it's supposed to be. And, uh, truly, uh, a thing that I expect most of us to feel because I, I don't think there's a person among us who's happy with the way that the government has rolled this out. Uh, everything from people not getting on the lists to, uh, to doses getting thrown away because they weren't sent out in time and went bad to, uh, yeah, it's. I, no one's no one's satisfied in the job being done and uh, in a matter of life and death like this uh, being frustrated with bureaucracy is just uh, I don't know icing on 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 the top there uh, put a cherry on, on that like I <laughs> it's hard it is hard to like be excited for the path forward and to also be concerned about everything on that path because the fa- the path is also on fire so so here we are uh, brave new world ahead let's hope that everything goes smoother nothing's ever gonna go smoothly here but things could go smoother and that would be yeah i think we've earned that i really think we have anyway today on streetwise we've got a really fun show for you um later in the show later in the show i'm going to be doing an interview with miriam wade now miriam is a 25 year old author uh, who has just published her first uh work of uh young adult fiction uh it is a retelling of uh king arthur uh, set in the steampunk 1920s with dinosaurs. So uh, the first book in this series, and clearly she can write just about any story she wants because you can put any story in that universe. There's really no limits there. Uh, so we have a fun little chat about that. Uh, we obviously have Nick's Music Corner coming up. But first thing here today, our, our friend Jason from Stolen Dress Entertainment uh, is going to be reading a piece from our most recent magazine, which is on stands now and that you can read online. Uh, our January issue of The Pitch, uh, and the story is called West Side Stories, uh, and it is from our writer Liz Cook, and it is about how uh, businesses on the West Side, especially restaurants, uh, have weathered this storm better than most, and uh, and why is that the case? And it turns out it's just um, the community really being there for each other, uh, and so it's it's a bunch of really fun, heartwarming stories, and we thought that perhaps this was the week that you might need those. So, uh, Jason, take it away. West Side Story. Community support keeps one neighborhood thriving through our full collapse. By Liz Cook. On a sleepy Wednesday in December, I went for a walk on the West Side. It was sunny but cold, and I didn't expect to encounter many people as I stalked past the neighborhood's curious mix of concrete and glass modern homes and whitewashed brick duplexes as old as the city's railroads. Instead, I felt like I'd stumbled onto a small parade. Accordion music streamed out of an open door at Los Alamos Market y Cochina. Inside, cartoonish piñatas swung from the ceiling like punching bags. Across the street, the door to Bluebird Bistro chimed open with the hallmark tinkle of a bell. Every table on the sidewalk in front of Shea L., the brick-faced creperie and coffee house, was full of diners and sunglasses and sweatshirts. If it wasn't for the masks dangling from customers' ears, 
and the omnipresent dread draped over my soul like a weighted blanket. I could have forgotten Kansas City was in the middle of the worst phase of the COVID-19 pandemic yet. Businesses across the city have taken a pounding from the pandemic and associated shutdowns, and any attempt to sketch an economic silver lining is bound to ring false. But in tentative, relative terms, the West Side seems like it might be doing kind of okay? Oh, we're doing more than okay, Los Alamos owner Agustin Juarez says. We're doing great. For me, because we're so blessed, to me, it seems like there's nothing happening out there, because there's no day that we're not busy. Juarez has been operating at the corner of 17th and Summit for almost 20 years, long enough to build relationships with the community, long enough that he knows just about everyone in the neighborhood's name. The pandemic hasn't changed much. He wears a mask now, but he still holds court behind the restaurant's glass case, giving customers good-natured ribbings while he fills tray after styrofoam tray with dripping meats and jewel-toned sauces. Customers have been pouring in lately, worried Los Alamos might close. They tip well, fret often, overpay for their tacos on purpose. I had a priest who came in and gave me an envelope, Juarez says. I thought it was a card, but he opened it up and there was $1,000 in cash. From a priest, he made me cry. He made me cry. The success of Los Alamos has a lot to do with Juarez's singular personality and hustle. You get the sense he could make the business work just about anywhere in town. But he knows there's something special about the West Side, too. There's an unusual amount of foot traffic to start. Those piñatas dangling from Los Alamos's ceiling are meant to be colorful lures for pedestrians. According to Juarez, they work. The business mix helps, too. Juarez points out the variety of restaurants he can see from his front door. Chez El, French, Clay and Fire, Mediterranean, Bluebird, Crunchy American. We're not right on the boulevard, if you get the picture. Where all the restaurants are Mexican, 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 he says. On top of the hill at 17th and Summit, everyone's different. I think that's what makes it unique. That variety has a cost, of course. Latino immigrants largely built up the west side, and as the neighborhood has grown and attracted more development, some of its original residents have been priced out. For years, Juarez and his family owned a home near their business. Not anymore. These gringos came and bought me out. He says this without a trace of malice. Those gringos have also helped keep him in business. What was that 2020 cliché? It is what it is. Still, the neighborhood's working-class history and its more measured approach to development have slowed the pace of gentrification relative to some other areas of Kansas City. Since 1973, the West Side Housing Organization has been working to expand affordable housing options in the neighborhood and save existing homes from being torn down for highway construction. The Guadalupe Center, another nonprofit, has provided social services to West Side residents and the broader Latino community since 1919. Recent multifamily housing developments have brought a mix of young professionals and lower-income families to the neighborhood. Apartment complexes scattered among stately historic homes. For now, at least, the West Side doesn't feel economically or culturally homogenous, and as the economic crisis deepens, new residents have been a lifeline for area businesses. The diversity of the West Side, its people, its businesses, its architecture, that drew Sonora, Mexico native Marissa Gencarelli and her husband Mark to open a small retail outpost of Yoli Tortilleria there. I like mixed-income communities, Gencarelli says. You have small homes right next to these other gigantic homes. I don't want to get too political here, but the fact that someone is running a bank or whatever and walks by another house that may not be in their financial situation, you create that awareness of overall societies and communities and what they need. Jen Corelli says she'd tried to move Yoli into the neighborhood twice before she succeeded this July. 
Opening a new storefront during the pandemic would seem like a risky prospect for any entrepreneur, and Jen Corelli's still cautious. She's thinking week to week, not year to year. But so far, she says, business has been surprisingly good. We feel pretty optimistic, she says. Opening through COVID would be suicidal for most people, but for us, it was the best thing we could have done. Because we have a small footprint, we can put new products forward and see customers' reactions without having to hustle through a distributor. The Jen Corellis have been making the most of their square footage. The refrigerated case inside Yoli's small but airy space is almost always brimming with a new salsa or bottled drink. A freezer just inside the door is stacked with tamales. Jen Corelli tries to keep the events fresh, too, hosting kaleidoscopic pop-up feasts at the store in partnership with local chefs. The tight-knit business community has been a big help with those. At a recent pop-up event, Jen Corelli ran out of cabbage. She ran next door to Los Alamos, and Juarez offered her one of his own. She notes that community-minded attitude isn't specific to the West Side. When you're a small business owner, you help your neighbors. You take care of each other. The broad mix of nearby businesses here just makes it easy. Jen Corelli says she's never felt like she's in competition with any of her neighbors. Jenny Vergara, a longtime West Side resident and contributing editor for Feast Magazine, points to businesses like those owned by Juarez and Jen Corelli as examples of the West Side's more thoughtful approach to development. You know, it's independent, Vergara says. There's not a single chain over here, and that's by design and by desire, just because the landlords are kind of watching out for who they let in. The landlords that own the restaurant and retail spaces in the West Side live in the West Side, and they all traverse and go to these places too. Perhaps no one fits that description better than Adam Jones, a real estate developer who's lived on the West Side since graduating from the Kansas City Art Institute in 1982. Jones renovated the iconic two-story house at 815 West 17th Street, a spot that's housed restaurants such as Novel and Fox and Pearl. For all its quirks, it's beloved by customers, and Jones could have rented the house to just about anyone to keep his cash flow up during the pandemic. But he had promised the space to his friend Orkin Yigit, a restaurateur based in Ankara, Turkey. When the pandemic hit, travel shut down, and visa challenges have kept Yigit stranded in Turkey since. Instead of abandoning his plans, Jones brought in chef Brent Gunnels, a fellow Westsider, to help open the Middle Eastern restaurant on schedule. Jones and Gunnels have been on the phone with Yagit and his chef in Turkey constantly to share ideas and refine the menu. The collaborative result, Clay and Fire, opened in September. Jones says he's felt the neighborhood's support through his career, but the new development has made a noticeable difference. I've been here a long time, and there just never... <clears throat> I've been here a long time, and there never used to be this traffic. There's just new people all the time, and they're moving here, living here because of the community that we've built over the past 30 years. They're trying to support local biz, and they're totally in exploration mode. Like Juarez and Jen Corelli, Jones says the variety of neighborhood businesses has been a strength during the pandemic. Visitors can grab a latte at Goat Hill Coffee and Soda, shop for lingerie at Made Apparel, have lunch at Shea L, and pick up a loaf of bread at Ferver for dinner. The West Side is a destination instead of just a pit stop. Jones counts himself lucky to have the support of those neighbors as well as his friends in the restaurant industry. He thanks his customers profusely. He calls Gunnels a warrior. Even though Clay and Fire opened in the middle of the pandemic, it's been doing better than quite a few local restaurants. But Jones is still worried. He says he'll need to do brisk carryout business to weather the winter. I'm just praying, we're just about to have our liquor license, I think. It's been a little arduous. And if we can just get to a break-even point where we can just hold on until things change, I'll be in heaven. I think we're close. Close is still a precarious place to be. The West Side's walkability, diversity, and mixed-use, mixed-income development have been a boon during the pandemic. 
but it ain't magic. The virus lives here too. Business owners, restaurant owners in particular, have been forced into an impossible bind as they weigh the guidance of public health experts against mounting bills and vague municipal ordinances. And in the face of those challenges, one of the neighborhood's beloved marquee restaurants, the Westside Local, closed in December. The cruel irony is that the restaurant's community mindset partly contributed to its closure. Although Kansas City has allowed some form of in-room dining since May, owner Brandon Strick decided to stick to carry-out and occasional patio dining to try to keep his staff and customers safe. My partners and myself and my staff all agreed that safety was the more important thing, Strick says. But safety couldn't keep the lights on. Strick hopes he can reopen the West Side Local in 2021, Congress pending. He says without an additional federal relief package, there's just no way for him to keep going. But he's grateful for the support he's received, and he can't imagine going anywhere else. The neighborhood has kept us going this long, and I cannot say enough about that. It has truly been our regulars, the people that we saw all the time before, and as soon as we reopened, we saw them continually. The love and the support has been so strong. I ask Strick what drew him to the west side in the first place, and he reacts as though I've asked him to explain why sex is good or french fries are delicious. Like, have you been here? Are you kidding me? He went to school for architecture, he says. He fell in love with the neighborhood and the building circa 2009. Los Alamos next door, they've been the best neighbors we could ever have, but we're not short on the best neighbors. Bluebird Bistro, Shea L., the whole community. It didn't take but one visit here to go, absolutely. And now it's time for Nick's Music Corner. Hello, I'm Nick Spasic, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. Sean Hunt, better known as Approach, the longtime area rapper, producer, and the man behind Detour Records, is astonishingly prolific, having dropped multiple releases a year for the past decade in the form of solo albums, collabs, and more. Therefore, it's unsurprising that he might have something in the vaults for a while. That said, when Hunt released the most recent Approach album in December, entitled Merely Minutes in a Day, Section 2 Antique Mall, it was a bit of an eye-opener that it had been sitting on the shelf for five years. As Hunt writes on the Bandcamp page for the album, Antique Mall is fitting title for an album that has sat in the vault for over five years. When the recording of this album was finished, I realized it didn't complement the sonics of the season. I felt like waiting until the sonic coloring matched the vibration of the times would be the best move. The track we're featuring, Call You, sees Approach going print style with a sultry jam featuring a hook from fellow Lawrence musician Heidi Gluck. It'll warm you up nicely and can be downloaded from the Datura Records Bandcamp at Datura Records, that's D-A-T-U-R-A, dot bandcamp, dot com. Here's Call You. It all, but together we'll win. Never acted ugly or damaged the skin. What lies beneath the smile is a flicker so thin. I miss where it ends, begins to trim. The happiness, the moments, loving the slim. Possibility that you and me would form a loving unity until now infinity seemed like a century away. Today, I make simple plays, simplest of ways that make you want to stay right here. Where the heart is clear, there's clouds in the sky, but my eyes are pure. Love in this life is to fight for more. The fire in my soul is to warm your core. And once the brush is burning, we can conquer the yearn. To educate ourselves on the lessons we've learned. That I'll call you when I get home. Remember, I know you're there. Yeah. I'll call you when I get home. Remember, I know you're there. Yeah. I'll call you when I get home. Remember, I know you're there. Yeah. I'll
level again Thought we lost it all, but together we'll win Never acted ugly or damaged the skin When lies beneath the smile, is a flicker so thin I miss where it ends, begins to trim The happiness, the moments, loving the slim Possibility that you and me would form a loving unity Until now infinity seemed like a century away Today, I make simple plays Simplest of ways that make you wanna stay right here Where the heart is clear There's clouds in the sky, but my eyes are pure Love in this life is to fight for more The fire in my soul is to warm your core And once the brush is burning, we can conquer the yearn To educate ourselves on the lessons we've learned that I'll call you when I get home So here I am sitting down with YA author Miriam Wade. Uh, her new book is out now. It is the first in a series of young adult novels with a, a very strong fantasy element. And uh, we're just sort of chatting it up here about uh, what it takes to tackle an entire universe of stories and uh, and how you get started on something like that. Uh, so here is uh, Miriam. Miriam Wade, welcome to the show. Would you like to tell people who you are? Hi, yeah. Uh, so my name is Miriam Wade. I am a author of the book Rise of Night and Sword. Um, it's the first book in the series The One Sword Saga. Um, so I live in the Casey metro area and I'm, like really excited to share about this book with you guys. What was your, uh, what's your writing history before this? What'd you do before you finally settled on like, I'm gonna go YA, this is gonna be my path. <laughs> yeah, so it's a little complicated, I guess. Um, so I've, I've been writing for quite a while, you know, as a child writing kind of has a hobby, casual and everything like that. Um, How old are you now? <laughs> some more, um, I'm 25, so. Cool, cool, yeah, you're a baby. Only a few <laughs> years out of college, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so like in, co in college, I actually studied engineering. Um, and so uh, post-college, I worked as a technical writer for several years, um, which is different than like doing novel writing, but it's always been like just like that. your engineering degree preps you better for uh, metallurgy in, in, in that period for, for knights and swords and stuff. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not as much for the actual like uh, words of the book. <laughs> But um, yeah, so writing's always been kind of like just like a hobby of mine. Uh, but a couple of years ago, I wrote this book and I've just been like really passionate about it. Uh, so I spent a year editing it uh, before sending it off to get published with seeing if different uh, publishers were interested in it. But yeah, so it's just been kind of like interesting because writing's always been kind of like a part of who I am, but it's never really been like the path I was like, oh, I'm going to be an author. Uh, <laughs> Just because, well, you know, no one it's kind of poor. a, <laughs> right, exactly. It's kind of a hard career to be like, I'm going to be an author and I'm going to make a living. That's enough to sustain me. So it's, um, it's nice though that it's something that I've been able to do even. Before uh, we get into the meat and potatoes here, uh, let's talk about the most important thing. Uh, who are your cats? What are their names and what are they like? Yes, that's very important. Okay. So two cats. Um, I have one of my cats named, her name is Freya Virgo. She is a uh, Russian blue. She is very, very talkative, 
very, very loud purr, purrs when she's very happy. Um, yes, yeah, she's just always like wanting to sit on my lap, wanting to like go wherever we are. She's very smart, which is problematic at times because she can like open up cabinets and things. <laughs> and then my other cat, his name is Modi. Um, and he's Siamese, and he is a really big dork, but he's really, really gorgeous. <laughs> um, and he has the most FOMO ever. It's hilarious. If I'm in a room and the door is closed, he'll, like, sit on the outside and whine. Or he'll, like, uh, if we have a baby gate up to prevent them from going down the stairs, but he figured out how to get over the baby gate because he's like, I can't be without you. <laughs> So they're always when, just when they out get over blockades or open doors like little velociraptors that's truly when your your life changes like well yeah i have you're no like, options in this situation any further <laughs> exactly you're like okay so do i have to like make a really full barricade and like put a bunch of furniture up and stuff to keep them out or how am i supposed to not be with them <laughs> that's the other breaking point is when you're like what things do I need to buy and then you wind up with furniture you didn't want and yeah I get it yeah <laughs> um, so who are your author influences going into this who did you look to as you were entering into this uh this fantasy YA world and be like that's that's a touchstone <laughs> yeah so definitely fantasy YA is like my my favorite genre to read um so like growing up I love like Chronicles of Narnia um I read Harry Potter um, I loved all like Rick Recordin's books, so uh, all of that uh, like Greek mythology with it. Um, and so, you know, like recently, I've read a lot of like Sarah J. Mass, um, her books, and so it's just kind of been like a a com combination of like a lot of different authors over the years, just um, being really like in this genre uh, with what I've read myself. So when you're starting down a path where you you know that this is book one in a series, what kind of what kind of years of planning go into that? Do you start by writing like a whole world bible, or are you sort of going book by book and letting the stories fill up the world as you go? Yeah, so it's a little bit of both. Like I had um, before I even started writing this first book, I had a really um, pretty solid picture of like what I wanted the world to be like. Um, but as I wrote it, it evolved more. And then I'm currently working on the second book. And so things are changing more and the world is expanding a lot too. So um, there's obviously things I decided on before I even started writing to just have some consistency throughout, but then uh, letting just the story kind of create some more of that difference as it goes on. What do you like what do you like about this characters and what draws you to this specific setting? Yeah, so my book is a, a Arthurian legend retelling in the new like setting. And so uh, was like, I really enjoyed about writing it is just kind of taking some of the classic elements of those characters and then twisting them in my own way. Um, and that's been a lot of fun. And I have like, one of my favorite characters to write uh, is my Merlin character. Um, so I have, she's gender bent character. So it's a female character who's kind of like this. Um, she's like 
really good with animals and and my universe has dinosaurs in it so she's like really yeah, good with being like able to like interact and, with the... and, and punk airships and yeah you you get a little mm -hmm. of everything into yours which i like yes yeah it's a, it's yeah it's a little blend of everything so it's kind of interesting because i mean in like in king arthur there's like dragons and there's other uh different creatures like that and so in my book instead of having like a dragon you have like a dinosaur and so it incorporates those like classical like elements but just like with a little twist and and we all know that the 1920s were like this so <laughs> yes it's very it's very true to history because you remember in the 20s when there was dinosaurs just chilling <laughs> that's what the roaring 20s were all about the the roar <laughs> of the t-rex and uh yeah 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 exactly <laughs> Where, where does the series go from here? Like what is, what is sort of the end point of this book and where does it, where is it going to travel from there? <laughs> yeah, so this book really focuses on like the uh, King Arthur becoming king kind of story where he gets Excalibur and all of that um, surrounding that story. And so um, the books that will follow will be more of things that happen while he's king. So there's a lot of other are like stories uh, in, in the legends that uh, will be explored, kind of mixing some of them together, taking different elements from different ones and blending them to be like the next story to see how, how the um, kingdom changes with Arthur now as king. I remember one of my favorite parts of the, the King Arthur legend when I was a kid was, uh, I forget which night it was, but there's one of the knights of the round table that he's like, Someday I'm going to kill you, uh, but between now and then we're we're going to work together. But just letting you know, at the end of all this, I'm I'm getting you back. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of it's it's delicious because there's just like a lot of each night has a, a lot of different personality, and so um, my plan is to kind of focus on different characters. So this this first book really focuses like on Arthur and Guinevere, but um, the first like different books will kind of have other characters as more of the focal character with the with Arthur so where are you at all there. Those, like in terms of writing and development of, of those yeah so I'm working right now on the second book um I have a draft drafted up and I'm working on um making it more completed um and then I have the next one after that kind of brewing in the back of my head what I want it to be so we'll see where it, when and how it, it gets written <laughs> So when the when the book comes to HBO as a show, uh, what actors are playing characters? <laughs> oh, that's such a great question. I have I have no idea. I haven't even thought of that. <laughs> I feel like no, I you, like you got to now. Take you're, somebody. You're, 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 I know. I feel like I'd like take somebody, and then like it, it would keep changing as I like see other movies and be like, but I like that actor. I like that actor. <laughs> where can people follow your work online, and where can they get a copy of this book? Yeah, so I am on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook and Instagram at miriam.wade.author and then Twitter at wade underscore author. Um, and then the book, you can get it online wherever books are sold, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you can get Kindle version um, as well. And then I also have uh, my own website, uh, which is onesword.saga.com, and I have copies there you can buy. You can get signed editions, and you can also get um, some different tie-in merchandise uh, with the novel as well. Miriam, thank you so much, and uh, good luck out there. Thank you. 
And that has been the Streetwise Podcast from The Pitch here in Kansas City. I am Brock Wilbur, the host of the show and editor-in-chief of The Pitch. Please check out all the work that we are doing on thepitchkc.com, trying to do the best journalism that we can do for you, trying to make you aware of absolutely every story we can get our hands on, and trying to highlight some of the cool, wacky stuff that happens between the cracks here that no one else is paying attention to. I hope that we're bringing a little love and joy into your lives along with, uh, you know, all the depressing hard, real stuff that also has to be covered, too. I I swear to God, things are going to look up, and no one will be happier about that than me. Uh, Anyway, if you ever feel like uh, throwing a few bucks our way to support us, all that information can be found online. We'd love to have you as sustaining members of what we're doing. Uh, But if not, just thank you for being there. Thank you for being nice. Thank you for listening. Uh, It's been a a really interesting time for a lot of uh, emails from readers who have been mad about things and a lot of emails from readers that uh, just were going out of the way to be like, Hey, keep up the good work. So as long as I'm batting 50, 50 here, like it, uh, it feels like I'm doing uh, probably what you want from the pitch. Uh, so consider supporting us. And if you can't right now, we totally get it. Cause I couldn't support us either. Uh, so uh, love you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I hope that you are, are kind to yourself and kind to each other this week. Pitch in and we'll make it through.